Welcome to another episode of the Third Person Podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Milhouse. I'm your host, along with my other host, Mr. Daryl Hammond. How are you, Daryl? Um, joy jumps all day, bud. <laughs> joy jumps all day. And we are joined, as always, with our producer, Jim Search. Mr. Jim Search, how are you, Jim? You know, I'm, uh, I'm living this just full to the fullest. How about that? To the fullest, I got, man. I gotta say, Daryl, every time I hear the joy jump line, that that does get me. I'm not gonna lie. Oh man. yeah, I appreciate that. I'm thinking, <laughs> taking up, I'm thinking of taking up pole vaulting, you guys. <laughs> Daryl's so, gonna be the next Olympic athlete coming up. You're gonna head to Tokyo. To joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart, <laughs> down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart today. <laughs> what a way to start this podcast! A nice little serenade from Mr. Daryl Hammond today. I like well, it. I was I was brutally de- depressed earlier. Okay. Um, because it's dark and sleety and snowy, and I just really had to talk to my shrink on the phone and fucking get my head straight. Well, all right. Yeah. Well. Daryl, I was saying the same shit, man. Like I was saying to Chris before, I feel like this is the fifth year of winter in the last three months. I, it's Perfect. been winter forever. Perfect, it's, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, fucking ever, and a shitty one at that. Seriously, man. There's a reason why I'm not rushing to get back to uh, New York City. I don't need to go back to that frozen tundra right now. It doesn't have to be guys, fucking man. fifty below zero to suck. Like I fell on my ass the other day. No shit. You know, I walked out at six o'clock in the morning. I thought I'd take a little walk to the store, pick up some groceries. And the sidewalk had been cleared. It looks like sidewalk, but I every year I forget it. <laughs> it's not a sidewalk. It's a thin sheet of ice. The fucking black ice, man. That's that shit always gets you, especially when you're driving too. Oh. Yeah, it and it it like I get I get tripped up on that too, man, because like I like I stepped out of my house too and I saw it. I was like, Oh wait, they like took care of the sidewalk and I'm like no, they, they didn't. didn't. No, they didn't. If that's not, if that's not like a metaphor for New York City, like all they oh, did was clear the sidewalk so that a layer of a thin layer of ice can form. Yeah, they yeah. made that possible. <laughs> all, yeah. all things are possible out here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we go uh, and much further, I just want to take this time to remind everybody to, uh, you know, follow us on the social media. You guys are probably listening to this on your phone right now. So since it's out, you might as well click that follow button. Uh, Daryl is at Daryl C. Hammond on both you know Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I am at Chris Millhouse with two L's on both Twitter and Instagram. Well, and Jim. About the five star reviews the Andrew Yang episode got. Yeah, yeah. Um, and real quick, uh, follow Jim Jim Search at Jim Search. But uh, yeah, we did get a lot of five star reviews from our uh, podcast with uh, Andrew Yang. We're gonna see if I can find the reviews here. Uh, no, I was especially bad that day. I just didn't. Have it. <laughs> no, you were great. I think. Uh, I think we just. I think we were just too serious. I we had so many serious questions for him. Even though I personally, I I thought it was great. But um, well, you did fine. I just didn't have it. It's yeah, one I don't of know. Days, to... you know, where you just, you know, you don't have it, and you're like, okay, I've got to give a representative showing, even though I, I know I'm, I'm shooting blanks today. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. So it worked out okay. We got five stars. Yeah, we did. I'm trying to find. The, I don't know how to find the reviews. Maybe Jim could help us with that because I have no well, idea. Well, then I'm gonna have Annika yeah. send it to you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let we, me. Uh, she read the reviews can... on Apple. Some 
Apple fucking thing, but I'm going to just send it maybe. Yeah, well, we have another podcast, podcast this week too that we uh, we can we can read them on that once we get to that. Once we find them, basically. Um, but yeah, I mean, guys, you know, hit the hit the follow button on the social media. Hit the subscribe button if you all haven't already. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you're probably already subscribed. But uh, share it with your friends. Make sure you let them know. Uh, we're growing this slowly but surely. Word of mouth is really how we, uh, we're, we're really getting it around. And we've gotten a lot of listens, a lot of downloads. And we want to keep it going. We want to get to the point where... Uh, you know, we we are able to tour when this pandemic is over, do this live. That's going to be amazing. When we, we've got a lot of requests for that, by the way. I've been seeing a lot of people on social media go, I can't wait till you guys can do like a live Q&A and have this in person. That's yeah, going to be awesome. If, if, that happened, those. if that happened, I would thank Jesus and tell him he's the only one that matters. Excuse <laughs> <laughs> me. If we yeah. took this podcast in front of a live audience, I would say, Jesus saves every yeah. day. Jesus saves. <laughs> Indeed he does. But yeah, I mean, like how fun would this, is this going to be when we get to do it in person? Because we have really cool guests, man. We got killer guests, uh, you know, including our guest today. We have a really great guest that Daryl has known for a long time. Our guest today is Tim Hurley. And if you don't know Tim by name, uh, that's okay. He's maybe not a household name, but he is somebody you should know because he has written pretty much every adam sandler movie that's ever existed uh he is like basically the main writer for happy madison he's a longtime snl writer including the head writer of snl for a while um and this guy just has uh quite the experience dealing with uh just you know movies and tv and everything in between so uh i'm excited to have him on today uh daryl you you've known him for probably what since you since you joined snl right he's got magic in his fingertips <laughs> yeah Back this in guy, the day, you, you considered yourself lucky and were very happy when you got a Hurley Heat script in your staff. That's amazing, man. I mean, uh, just like, you know, watching some of his movies, you know, you know that, you know, I mean, I, not to date uh, any of us here, but like I was in high school when a lot of his movies came out, like Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. And you know how iconic a movie like that is, or those are, I should say, when all your friends just keep quoting the lines. You and your friends just quote the, the movie constantly, and they still to this day, you can't not quote Happy Gilmore and things I, like that. I saw on a, a there's this app called Time Hop where it like shows you your post from last year or whatever, and at the end of it, they always have like a quote. And one of the quotes was like, "If pee in your pants is cool, consider me Miles Davis." And I was like, <laughs> "Hey, who said that one?" That's a uh, quote from uh, Billy Madison. Yeah, it's a Billy Madison quote. Is that a Tim Hurley line? It's a, I mean, I assume since he wrote the script. But uh, he I is mean, uh, sorry, he is ready to join us. So if you guys want to, uh, cool. let's get to it. Let's add him on. Let's uh, let's have the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Tim Hurley, join our podcast. Hey, boys. Hey, there he is. Hey, Tim there. Hurley. Thank hey, you so Tim. much for joining our podcast today. Tim Hurley is the third person on our podcast. How are you, Tim? This is awesome. Are we doing this? Is this an actual podcast right now? It's well, we record it live, but uh, we we uh, we and we do a little editing from time to time. But yeah, okay, you're gonna need to do a lot of editing with me because I <laughs> uh, I just say bad, horrible expletives all the time. Say whatever comes well, from your heart, and there's no fear here. Okay. <laughs> we we have to edit that a lot too. We had uh, a guy who probably shouldn't say his name, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was the foulest like even i was offended i was offended 
<laughs> I like me to spend years well, I, in, in French Quarter taverns. I'm like, come on, man, come on. I'm pretty sure Tim knows who it is. I mean, uh, Lenny Dykstra. Do you know Lenny Dykstra, Tim? Oh, no. I was going to say Norm, but uh, uh, I guess yeah. Lenny Dykstra is actually even better. I would I would be so delighted to have Norm on. God damn, he's funny. Oh, oh yeah. We're, we, I've tried. I've tried to talk to Norm. He's, uh, he's, he's super busy with his podcast. That guy's got like a, a whole network going on. Wow. We get get good reviews, but we don't have that network. Maybe one day, right? Yeah. Hey, after after (laughs) this, after my uh, meltdown, uh, after the Hurley Hurley episode, that's good. That's what it's being known as in the you know all over the uh, the internet. Just the Hurley episode. (laughs) I was considering. I I mean, I was telling Chris before you came on, Tim, how absolutely happy I would be when when one of your scripts ended up in my pile. You oh, are, just a way of complimenting you. You made me look good a number of times. Well, you might be the uh, of people who've appeared most in in the Tim Hurley sketch on SNL. I think you are probably number one. Because I really? think I didn't have any recurring things besides um, Brian Fellow, and that wasn't till late. Um, I did, you know, did every time I did Clinton, it was you. Oh yeah. You know? Jack Perkins, obviously my favorite. You um, always found a way to slip you in there. Um, Chris doesn't know Jack Perkins, do you, Chris? No, I don't. I don't think so. He was an A and E host, and we, Tim and I, sort of um, gave him a neurological, a neuromuscular disorder. I tried to <laughs> managed to get some pretty good laughs. It was uh, he was just clinging on to fame, and we just needed him to stay famous for a little longer so we could keep making fun of him. Like what happened to Daryl with his uh, Phil Donahue impression oh. was terrible. Because I mean, he, you know, Phil Donahue basically dropped off the face of the earth just as Daryl was hitting his his absolute. It was one of the funniest impressions I've ever heard. I, I, I've seen I, that, I, that, I, that impression like, once a week. I think about that impression. I think I. I, I used to think it was the downy, the downy script. Oh, it was so mean. It was so fucking mean. Really? Oh yeah. And and got giant laughs. Um, it was about um, the people that that were like Donahue's audience had had decreased significantly, and so <laughs> the script was about how the black Israelites were like the only people that watched. <laughs> The only people that liked him anymore, and oh my god, <laughs> I mean, it crushed him, you know. But I thought, yeah, that that sucked. Well, isn't Donahue? I lost a few others too. Isn't that how it always goes? Like right when you you find the stride, or you find some something like the lightning in a bottle type of thing, and then it's like, oh well, that person's not relevant anymore. And you're like, son of a bitch. And Donahue's <laughs> going strong too. It's not like he was, you know, faded away, or he's he's you know going out to dinner, and he's been retired for 30 years or whatever it's been. He, he just did it to hurt Daryl. I think. <laughs> He's like, I'm, I'm tired of being spoofed on SNL. <laughs> this is not going to work out good. I think Ted Koppel did the same thing. That's true. Ted Koppel was like, that son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, can I tell my uh, Sam Donaldson story? I mean, you can always yeah. say it. No, tell it. We, of course we want to hear it. All right. So Tim, when I first started getting a little, 
a little something going at SNL. I, I started getting booked in corporate events. And one of the events I got booked on was at Museum of Broadcasting. And it just so happened that uh, Sam Donaldson and Ted Koppel were both there that night. And I walked in the room <clears throat> just as I... They were honoring Ted Koppel, so Sam was giving like this really sort of moist appreciation of his pal. And I walked in the room as Donaldson was saying, <clears throat> and then we chartered a plane, and we went to St. Louis. <laughs> I said, Ted, St. Louis? You stretched the elasticity of my credulity. Something like that. And um, Koppel goes, give me the microphone. <laughs> and I'm standing there wearing my Koppel wig, Right. And, and Rune Orleans was there, and he goes, Rune Orleans, you cheap son of a bitch. If you paid me a living wage, I could afford a decent rug like this guy is. <laughs> I can't, I can't, you know, I recall it so easily because it just stayed. It, it was an unbelievable, I mean, for me. Yeah, that's know. awesome, man. That's that's a really cool moment for sure. Yeah. yeah, those were the guys back in the day. I mean, there they wasn't the internet. I mean, you got your news from one of three places, and Ted Koppel and Sam Donaldson was one of those three. So they were very important in our in our lives. Sam Donaldson, indeed. And we, <laughs> and we went to St. Louis. <laughs> An interesting guy, right? <laughs> Tim, do you have any um, do you have any good stories about Daryl from back in the uh, the old SNL days? Um, oh, I bet there's some bad ones. You know, I mean, just a consistent professionalism. And, uh, you know, I mean, we, we th- would throw anything at Daryl and he would go, okay. And, and you know, Tuesday night, Daryl, well, we need you to do this. Okay. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe JJ would get him some tapes or something or, you know. And, JJ Philbin, Regis' it, daughter. Yeah, and, 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 um, and he would nail it. And, and you know, it was... Uh, I'm trying to think of some, uh, it, it just always worked out. And there would be like weird ones, like fucking Richard Dreyfus and shit, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I remember there was a time when I went from Richard Dreyfus. I went from, I went from Richard Dreyfus to Jesse Jackson in seven minutes. And that was, that's <laughs> enough to fuck with anybody's head. <laughs> My God, that's difficult, man. That's why you're a constant pro, man. Like that's, you know, from doing both you you just shut your brain off on one end and then turn it on the other for these these impressions i mean you know i i don't know what your perception was tim but it seemed like i i uh i i didn't have that many bad nights you know had a few but i did pretty good back in that era but i mean that was those were the days where like i would just i remember you know like be a script from you, a script from Adam McKay, and I just say to myself, I know I don't have it today. I know I don't have this guy down. But if I say these, I just have to say the words. You know, that, what a luxurious feeling that is for, um, you know, a performer. Like, just got to fucking make sure the audience understands me. Well, but, um, you always had it, you know, either on dress or air. I don't recall ever you, I mean, I remember once where we had to, we had I think it was the Tiger Woods biography when you did Jack Perkins. <laughs> and you gave a, I forget which one was which, but in one, in either dress or air, you gave an absolutely titanic, over-the-top, unbelievable f- performance. And then in the other, whether it was dress or air, Tim gave a unbelievable 
hilarious, crushing Tiger Woods. And then for the repeat, we took one, one Jack Perkins from Dresser Rare, and then we took the uh, uh, Tiger Woods, and it was you guys back and forth, back and forth, and we Frankenstein them together, and it made like the best of of that year because it was, you know, we had some we somehow managed to get those two great performances together. You know, and Dana Carvey told me something really weird when I when um, I worked with him on SNL for the first time. I did Donahue, he did Carson, and he said. Save something for air. And I thought, what the fuck does that mean? Save something for air? And he was like, hit your mark, get your laughs, okay? And then unload when you're on the air. And he's, he's like, watch Bonnie Shannon. I'm like, all right. And sure enough, although Shannon probably crushed in dress too. But you know what I'm saying. It's, it's not an easy place to work. No, for sure. Yeah, and definitely you had to, you know, that was the the years before you guys when it was Farley and Sandler and that was definitely in the air there that you did not give it all out at dress. You, you, uh, yeah. for sure. why is that so smart? I, as writers, we hated it because we, we wanted to see the pinnacle performance right away. And then maybe, you know, you, you just, just do that again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, some people like, took it to extreme. Like, I mean, it's all, the whole thing with read throughs too. And this is, this goes on in movies too, is like, some people really don't commit to the read-through and really sort of mail it in. And, and it, it's almost considered bad form to, you know, go crazy during the read-through or, or give you even a, a 60% performance. Well, you know what Carvey said? He said, if you if you crush it, if you just give it your all in, in, um, in dress, you're going to be very tempted, irresistibly tempted to obligate yourself to a line reading to do it the way you did it in dress, which means it's SNL, a scaffolding could fall. It won't work. Yes. But anyway. That's true. That's very true. That if you, you'll, 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 be chasing that right? same huh? Huh? you'd be chasing that same, la- you'd have got some, you know, more, you know, you'd always be chasing that exact phrasing that crushed. Yeah. I had an acting teacher that said that, um, I did that, that I, I had in my head already what I wanted to sound like, and that's why I sucked. And <laughs> so he got he got me out of that, and I actually ended up getting some parts on dramas because he actually taught me, shit, you know, how to read and shit. And and Harold uh, Guskin, and then um, he got me to go to dinner with uh, James Gandolfini. Oh wow! Because uh, he wanted me to teach Gandolfini how to play like a gay guy, right? Or something he was playing a gay hitman. He's like, maybe you'll have some pointers for him. I'm, so, I'm, sure about, I'm like, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but sure, okay. And so we went to the dinner, and I was like popping martinis. And um, at one point, Gandolfini says to me, "Hey, pal, are you okay?" Because I guess I was getting a little pie, and I and I go, <laughs> I go, uh, no, I'm sort of okay. He goes. He gets, I'm going to quote him now. He goes, he says, okay. And then he goes, Jesus fucking Christ. Jesus fucking Christ. I said, did you just say Jija? <laughs> James Gandolfini just say Jija and I'm the only one that heard it? <laughs> yeah. The fucking weird shit that would happen, man. And I know that happens to you too, especially when you went out to Hollywood and hit it big. You must have rubbed, rubbed shoulders with some mighty interesting people out there, right? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was happening while we were at SNL too. I mean, I was I was cranking out these movies during the off weeks. Um, so yeah, it was you know flying back and forth, having some weird, you know, um, Saturday night was almost a grounding thing for me. You know, I knew that I'd show up on Monday. We had the pitch meeting. It's a very set routine, you know, no matter who's hosting, and. You know, it, it almost felt like an anchor for me that, you know, things got too weird, just go back to SNL. Um, <laughs> and didn't you know him a long time? I was, Sandler, we were college roommates. Oh, right. okay. So That's cool. I always had the sense that you knew his every move. Every move. And we came hear. up together, yeah. I was yeah, the probably. first time he did stand-up. I mean, we, Sandler. you know, I had done it worked with him like unofficially through, I was, I went to law school, became a lawyer, we were working on wall street and I was helping him with stand up, helping him with sketches. Mm-hmm. And then, um, right before, I guess two years before, uh, y- your crew came in, um, he got me a two week, um, trial and it was in March, which as we both know now, everybody's exhausted in March. You know, we're just, we had, we don't, we don't have that burst of energy that you get April, May, the season's almost over. God, I got to get on. March is like the dead time. And I came in and I was, of course, like, let's write a sketch, guys. Come on. And so uh, tell, tell, tell us about the two week trial. I don't think people know what that is because it's harrowing for the writer. Is that is that a normal thing? They still do that? Like a yeah. two week trial? Yeah. Guest writer. You come on and huh. you work as a regular show writer for, for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And wow. uh, never do that. Three things to dress, which was uh, harrowing. Uh, but like I had Sandler helping me. I had you know, a bunch of other writers pitching and helping me. So, um, but it's, it's, you're thrown into the deep end of the pool for sure. You are yeah, yeah. on SNL. And did, do you, were you there when um, Al Gore's daughter, Kristen, got a two week trial? Oh, no, I, I was gone by then. That's, yeah. that's random. And here's the funny part she wrote some nice stuff, it didn't get in. Oh, but oh, she, well. she was good at it or what? Yeah, she that's, was. That's cool, man. It's weird that she didn't get hired then. She had some talent. You know, Gore was a – people don't realize that guy's a funny dude. I mean, he's, he's a funny fucking guy. But, yeah, but getting back to that, I remember thinking to myself, hey, that's fucking rough. you got to have nerves of steel. Two yeah. weeks, Tim. When you're in that first uh, pitch meeting on Monday, you come in and uh, you don't know what – you kind of get herded into Lauren's office and uh, he's like, Tim, and, you know, I'm like, uh, there's a, a guy who's funny because he – as a thing in his shoe, like, you know, you're just, you're just like, please God, get me through this. But the host that week was Nancy Kerrigan, the ice skater. Yes. So I think the whole thing was a little bit on training wheels. It wasn't like if it was, if it had been somebody, you know, like Tom Hanks or something, it would have, you know, I, I would have been a little lost, but since it had kind of been, you know, dumbed down for, not dumbed down, but just when an athlete host or somebody who's sort of, sort of a, a civilian host, I think you it, it, it seems a little uh, spoon-fed. Yeah, I mean, well, you know that it's it's going to be about skating, <laughs> you know. Is it, is it, easy, is it, is it huh? easier or harder to write for, like, an athlete when they host? You know, it's it's if you have that athlete sketch, you know, sometimes they'll surprise. You usually have low expectations, so if you come in and they're funny, um, that's great. You know what I mean? It was It was tough with her because it was kind of – it was a huge kind of a tabloid scandal with, I mean, it wasn't, for her, it wasn't a tabloid scandal. It was, she got, uh, you know, hit, she had to kind of deal with that. It was almost like when, when Monica Lewinsky was on, it was like, it was so, how it was more about how are you going to deal with this um, versus here, here's my, here's my resume, you know, 
let's let's have some fun. Were you there for the Monica Lewinsky? Oh yeah, no, that was nuts. Then I, and I wrote that sketch with Tina, and I remember uh, you know, that, the one where she kissed me. Yeah, where the, it was the cold opening, and uh, that that must have been nuts for you to to play. I, I, I literally, I literally remember as her mouth was coming close to mine. I literally remember thinking to myself, well, I've never actually done LSD, and now I know I don't have to. Because <laughs> this, this, this is through the, you know what I mean? This yeah, is it's all, so surreal. <laughs> so fucking surreal. That, that's the and one time she walked in my dressing room just in a towel, and I'm like, um, I'm really not Bill Clinton. I'm really, <laughs> I don't know why you're in here in a towel, but... um. <laughs> in general, I thought she was fucking charming and funny, and I was really glad she got a shot like that, and she ended up doing pretty well. Oh, yeah. And she was like the most famous person in the world at that point. I mean, it was, yeah. it was crazy. Um, and she, she came doing in. It, she said to promote her book. Didn't have a ton of people with her. Just, oh, yeah, yeah. Not as many as Paris Hilton, but a ton. <laughs> God, I can only imagine the entourage from her. Oh. <laughs> Once I, I, I think, was this constantly the same show? It was around the same time. I had a note I had to give Naomi Campbell, who had, who was uh, guest starring, and I went to a dressing room, and there were like fifteen people, and literally stepping over bodies to get to the people laying on the floor. And I went to say something to her, and she couldn't hear, and she, like, made a hand gesture, and all sound in the room, completely, you could hear a pin drop instantly. And I gave whatever the dumb note was and then picked my way out, And uh, but she had complete control. I remember some of those young starlets had adopted this sort of mob boss um, rule <laughs> over all the entourage who caused some, you know, like, to cut up there at SNL, they were talking, party. And I remember a couple of them were like, stop. You know, um, Naomi Campbell. Yes, I remember that episode. I don't think I was in that one. Did you write for Sarah Michelle Gellar? I think so. I remember her being there. I'm not sure if I got anything on that week. Um, I think she was She was good. I remember. Yes, I have big recollections. Sometimes I'll look through the list of hosts when I was there. I'm sure you get this too, Daryl. I have absolutely no recollection. I Robert Downey Jr. I guess hosted while we were there. I have no recollection of ever meeting him, talking to him, watching him perform skits. I, I, like like it didn't happen. But there was a Robert. How many, how many years did you do? Uh, parts of seven. So I did five full seasons and then parts of two others. So I did fourteen, and then I would still do guest spots each year. And I remember when Lauren uh, brought me back from New Orleans to um, be the announcer and wanted to work with Hick, me to work with Higgins to be the announcer. And I walked into the studio for the first time in, in a couple of years. And I remember, you know, I've never left. I have never left. <laughs> it's all one blurry continuum, you know? <laughs> it's all one after party, after after party, after dress, rehearsal, after read through. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like I was thinking. I'm watching Jeff Pullman on this new show, and Pullman's a great actor. I loved him in Tombstone, and now he's doing something called The Center, and he's tremendous. And I thought to myself, I don't remember him. I know he was on. Yes, I, I don't remember his sketches, you know, and that's that's kind of sad because he's a gifted guy. 
It's funny. I because that's I remember sketches, but I don't remember, you know, and if someone was in that sketch, I'll remember them, but I don't remember like the experience of the show, the monologue, the cold opening. It's um, too many. I think it's usually somebody random. Yeah, it sounds like, like it all blurs together. <laughs> I was telling that to someone over there one time and they said, You've actually walked on camera over a thousand times, Daryl. Okay. Three hundred and eighty seven shows. How could you remember? Like, how could you remember? And I remember thinking in those years that, that that we were around the most famous humans that ever lived. I mean, Madame Tussauds, you know, wax museum people all the time. So <laughs> it's no slam to say I didn't. Re- I don't remember that much about your show. I mean, you know, there was just so many famous people there at the time. You know. Yeah, I, I wonder. Good. It was. It was. Might have been a blur, like the week after. Frankly, you know, it was, depending on some weeks, it got so crazy, or you, you kind of had to. You had to be like a relief pitcher. You know, you have a bad week or something. Monday, you got to get in there again, shake it off, forget that show, and uh, and move on. Why? That'd be something else. Like I wouldn't be in the show at all. I'd come in Monday. Like I know my career is over. It's but you got to shake that shit off, like you're saying. Like a relief relief pitcher that gave up a home run on his first pitch, and can't go fuck this. Oh well, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, well, Sandler hosted a couple of years ago, and I came back. He was wondering and about that. Did you come back for that? Friend? I did. It was a great week, but I didn't get anything on, <laughs> so I've got that stuck in my craw. I got skunked on my last show, so I'm like, I'm like, oh god. Uh-huh. But see, like, yeah, I, I, we've talked to a few people from SNL with you know Daryl that there were cast members and. I, uh, I believe you're probably our first like actual like writer who wasn't on uh, as part of the cast, but like a lot of cast members are always like worry about getting into sketches. I think they're obviously the writers are worried about getting their sketches on and that pressure is probably like, you know, the similar for each one of you guys, like where you're just like, shit, if I don't get anything on next week, like am I, am I going to get fired? Like in the same thing with the cast members, like if I don't get in this fucking sketch, like am I, am I done? Like you just feel that pressure cause it's so much, but my first full year, I only got six sketches on the entire year. And um, I, I didn't realize, I, I, I found out later how close I'd come to being fired, but I didn't realize <laughs> at the time. But you really, there's other opportunities for a writer. You can be funny at rewrites. You can, you know, yes. give somebody help blocking. There, there's other ways to contribute. And when you got skunked at read-through, um, very few people would sulk. You would just kind of go and, you know, try and be funny on Thursdays. and Yeah, but somebody five. has to, someone has to explain that to you, especially if you're the guest writer. You yes. know, someone has to explain, oh, you can still get high marks for this week. That's by, interesting, man. I never, I never really thought about it from that aspect. Yeah. Well, when writing. I did the, the, the guest writing thing, Sandler's, his, his, his advice to me was just make Jim Downey laugh, who was the head writer at the time. And don't worry about getting anything on make Jim Downey laugh. And so even when I was just hanging out on, Tuesday night, I just tried to be funny when Jim Downey was around. Sandler told, Sandler told you that? Yeah, to make Downey laugh. That <laughs> may be the wisest advice ever given to somebody. Did, did you ever feel like that? Because you became the head writer eventually. Did you yes. ever feel like well, there were like a lot of the newer writers were coming to you, trying to make you laugh? You know, like just, you know, the roles got reversed almost, you know? Yeah, I, I appreciated the effort, even if they, you know, uh, you know, uh, didn't. I'm a, I'm a tough laugh, and so uh, sometimes I, I, I probably didn't give them what they were looking for, but uh, the effort was appreciated for sure. And you're probably like, hey, fuck me, that guy over there, Downey, 
<laughs> guy by the name of Downey. When I get a chuckle out of that gun. Come out of his office. Uh, I mean, that was such a, a huge part of my success was that Downey thought I was funny. He was the, the tastemaker of that show for a long, long time. You know, as much, if not more than Lorne some seasons. Um, if, if Downey liked you, you were all set. Yeah. He um, invented this, the gore sound that we ended up with because I'd been doing gore, I thought, sort of accurately, you know, in, for a year in Greenwich Village and wasn't getting laughs. And Downey walked in the afternoon of the, the first debate sketch with a script and he started giving me line, line readings. And I trusted him so much. I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah. I, and, I, and that's how I, I invented the character. He invented it. That sort of syrupy, overbearing teacher in Mopland. I mean, Downey made that up. That's that's great. Great. I, I never knew that, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Downey made that up. And then forevermore, even though Gore went away after the election and was out in the wilderness and came back heavier and with a beard, and we wanted to write this, this new Gore sketch, and... um Downey wrote something um, and we got a couple of applause breaks that night but I started doing like the new gore that I'd been seeing on TV and Lauren was like no no they don't <laughs> want that they don't want that they want that the guy from before the guy they really like they want that guy do the yeah. same guy clever yeah. clever advice because I didn't get any laughs and read through it's true they don't at a certain point I mean they want to hear th- those beats but like Dana's George Bush, I mean, it just evolved further and further away from the real George Bush. But people didn't get, nobody wanted to hear an accurate George Bush. They were disappointed when they heard Bush talk because he didn't say, you know, thousand points a lot, you know, whatever the, you know, he didn't do it. Um, you got to play oh the my God. I'm on the phone with one of my shrinks the other day. That's right. I said one of them. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, he starts doing, not gonna not goddamn! I'm like, you are appalling, sir. You are. You're, yes. you're fired, sir. <laughs> That's a professional ethical uh, violation, I think, to do. Yeah, he made me laugh. Baby Bush. <laughs> I love those impressions, though. Like you know, from all you guys, because it's like, the best part about SNL, with especially with political impressions, is making it silly and just making it fun. I mean, that's why I love Daryl's Trump. I love you know, like all, like uh, Carney uh, Carvey's. Uh, Bush, you know, like it's just it was fun to watch. It's fun to see somebody so serious, like a character so serious, made into something that's silly and just fun to watch. You know, that's I don't think that's forget, why everyone loved it. Don't forget John Lovitz. <laughs> John Lovitz. <laughs> Lovitz could do that as well as anybody. Else. I love John Lovitz, man. I I've got to I work. He he used to have a club in, in Hollywood. Did you ever do it? Like he had his own comedy club, and uh, I never did it. COVID happened. I never. I don't know why I never did his club. I was doing the store and the improv. But I don't know. Well, why I, it closed. But I it closed years ago, like oh, okay. years back. But it was. Um, it, was it was around for a while. And he, I, you yeah, know, he was I did great. a number of uh, SNL veterans shows, and and he always did them and annihilated. Annihilated. Yeah. I was only there for one election, and it was Dole versus Clinton, and um, you know, we had Norm doing Dole. And, you know, he's basically doing Ackroyd's Dole, but with like an insane, you know, uh, uh, wait a minute. With Norman <laughs> Did you write the line where the real Bob Dole came on and Norm was doing Bob Dole? And he said something like, everybody, um, 
knock it off. Everybody knows you're doing you're doing Dan Aykroyd's impression. <laughs> you know it. I know it. And the American people know it. Did you write that? You know, I, I can't remember. I, I mean, I think I wrote that sketch. I'm not sure. I remember dealing with Dole because he came in and he was like kind of like pretending to be mad because we made fun of him. And I said, oh, I, I'm just I don't really uh, write those sketches. I stick to, uh, you know, uh, 501 <laughs> stuff. And uh, him and I and his wife were having none of it. But you, I mean, you guys were I mean, those were insane impressions. And, you know, how many debates did we do? How many just the two of you together? I mean, that was magic. There was there was some some bomb memories. I'll I'll say that. Do you have things right now that you're excited about? Because I don't. No, no. Come on, <laughs> on Daryl, you're excited about this podcast. That's right. I, I <laughs> no, I'm excited about the podcast. That's it. But I say I wasn't excited. I mean, I was. <laughs> no, it's actually it's actually pretty enjoyable. We have some really funny people on. Yeah, and I mean even, it's. It's been great riding your coattails, man. I'll tell you that much. So, like, or or even, even like, you know, I, I kid about Lenny Dykstra. I, I actually really liked him very much. But, boy, could that cat go off. You're just like, remember when I asked him about, um, I'm like, hey, how do you feel about uh, the NBA is going to do the national anthem now? Right? Before the podcast, he's like, what I think about the 15, I can't get my cock. I'm like, right. <laughs> this dude, right, the I, amount of times that this dude used the phrase 15-inch cock was I, insane. I should have just said a cock on um, national. <laughs> he went right back to cock. I love it. Yeah. This guy's entertaining to say the least. I mean, he was, uh, we, the, the comments I think I've got back people were like, I, uh, somebody left a comment on the social media yesterday where they go, uh, I just, the episode and holy shit, I think I need a shower. <laughs> that's like yeah, basically indicative I mean, of what this how fucking crazy I'm, a, this dude. I'm what I would call a foul mouth profane guy I grew up playing ball and we cussed and everybody cussed and I and I cuss and I you know I I have my threshold is really high for being offended and I was like there were a couple times I was like hey um there's some people <laughs> that are gonna storm the barricades <laughs> We put this line in there. Some of the stuff about women. Remember that? Oh yeah, there's there's a few things we edited out. <laughs> Let's put it that oh, way. I'm glad, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you yeah, did. Yeah, there were some things that he was a little off color about, obviously, and we're just like, ah, we don't we don't stand for that kind of shit. But, you know, <laughs> well, he wants uh, to well, run his mouth with some of us. Like, you know, it's well, a little bit much. We were, and I was like, so why are you living in in, in Westwood? He's like, I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, he said. He said he lives in Westwood out in L.A. because he, he moved in next to the Sororo so oh, he can chase no. a pussy. <laughs> we I don't like, live in Westwood. Like, oh my God. Uh, well, I'll tell her to watch out for, uh, you know, an old uh, ex-ball player, Lenny Dykstra. <laughs> if some guy talks about 86 Mets, then you run. <laughs> you call the police. Yes. That's what your how advice often, to her is. How often do you talk to Adam Sandler? You know, uh, I would say just about every day we get something back and forth. Um, you know, last week was the Happy Gilmore 25th anniversary, and, and uh, so we were looking at stuff on the internet and people excited about what a that. great move. It, it was sad in a way because 25 years just kind of went by pretty quick, uh, but it yeah. was, it's still resonating with people. Well, that's nice. Yeah, I, well, uh, what a great what a great movie, by the way, Happy Gilmore. That's interrupted there, but I, 
I don't know, it's such a good movie. We, you know, and I was these guys before um, Daryl before we had you on and said, you know, a movie's iconic when it comes out and you just quote it nonstop. Like, and you still quote that movie to this day. There's still so many lines that were great. Give give me a line, Chris. (laughs) Gold jacket, green jacket, who gives a shit? Like, you know, like these are, you know, you will, you will go to sleep or I will put you to sleep. Like these, these lines are fantastic. And there's still, you know, that's how, that's a mark of a classic movie, man. And, you know, it's, it's, I can't believe it's been 25 years, but it's, uh, it's, it was great to see Adam's um, little video that he put up when he, oh, the happy you'll go more swing. Oh, yeah, I was shocked. He, I asked him how many takes that he took to do that. He said two. Oh, shit, two? That's it? I, I would have it taken me all day to get to hit the ball at all. So, uh, yeah, no, that was uh, that's pretty pretty amazing that he could still do that after all these years. Guys, I'm going to turn my fan on. I'm hot in here because Chris won't let me run the air conditioner. <laughs> Plenty of extra I, there. Yeah, no, I... I told him sometimes with the AC, just it's uh, the sound fucks with it, you know, picks it up a little bit too much. But, um, but you know, uh, you know, while we're talking about Sandler and stuff, like that's uh, that whole relationship, man. That's what a what a cool thing to have, like from college roommate all the way to now. Uh, like how how cool has it been, like you know, just having this friendship and like you know, you're still writing stuff with him. Like that seems like just a fun fun gig to have. Well, yeah, it's weird. It's, it's uh, you know, back when we did Happy Gilmore, like that was our second movie and thinking, wow, maybe we can do some more after this. And we've done like like 28 or something movies together. It's like, it's, awesome, man. it just won't stop happening that we make movies together. And again, these are all, you know, Billy, you know, not, not Billy, but Happy Gilmore, Wedding Singer, Waterboy are all movies we wrote during off weeks from Saturday Night Live. And it was just like, you know, pouring our heart and soul into the show and then, well, actually, by that point, he had left the show, so I was I was doing, uh, you know, with Daryl and, and, and that era. Um, but, you know, really leaving it all on the field, you know, like you kind of have to with that show. And then during the off weeks, like, all right, and then, uh, you know, Bobby Boucher says this and, and trying to, you know, <laughs> just operating, you know. I got to take a nap. I write one joke for something, and I got to take a two-hour nap now. But uh, back then, uh, definitely operating. I remember one time during my, my first year, I, I – I didn't get on the air much the first half of the season and was completely convinced I wasn't going to make it. And, and then it looked like that to everybody else too. And then Dana came on and Dana actually taught me how to do SNL. And suddenly I started to do better, but I was walking on 57th street in the West side and fucking Adam Sandler's walking towards me. And he, he sees me and he, he says, Hey, how you doing? And he like, Spent a minute with me, you know. Spent a he, minute with me. He's always been a fan of the show since he left. He, he watches. Yeah, but I mean, he didn't need to be nice to me like that. And I think that if he'd walked by and went, you know, what's up? I think it would have upset me. Because he was. Well, I hate so to tell you this, but I told him. I said, if you run into Daryl on the street, be nice because <laughs> he's going to get fired any minute. And uh, I'm going go out on a big note. Yeah, there's this guy named Daryl Ann. <laughs> <laughs> he's about to get canned and if you could just juice him up a little bit I think really yeah, nice I'm high. he's not going to be around much longer so you won't have to see him again <laughs> I, I think we all thought we were getting fired that first season was just felt I mean there was some funny stuff but that whole first half of the season up until we got into February it felt like dead men walking a little because we had come back it was all new crew all new writers. There were a few, maybe Tim Meadows was a holdover. Spade was kind of on the show at that point. I, I went from being the most junior guy there to the most senior guy in terms of writers, just because everybody had quit or been fired. 
Um, but then we got into February and we started doing some shows. I remember Elle McPherson was weirdly a, a good show. And then Roseanne, not, not Roseanne, um, Rosie O'Donnell hosted. And then when Jim Carrey hosted, I forget if that was March or, or that was towards the end of the year. I knew that this, I knew we were going to get canceled. It was, we were kind of. Oh, that was play. in the Saturday night. They were saying Saturday night dead in the paper. Oh yeah. But the ratings were abysmal. I mean, they had been abysmal the year before with the, the end of the Sandler Farley era there. And, yeah. And they were, they were even, we would have killed for those ratings the next year. Cause it was, <laughs> but then it started and it went, went up every week starting in like February and just something started clicking. It, that's the weirdest part about it is you never know when, when, when something will catch fire. You know, you have nothing in the show for the second week in a row. You're sitting around in the writer's room. It's 11 o'clock Friday night and someone says something. You say something back. They laugh. And the next thing you know, you're on update. Yeah. Updates are the crazy because the whole, everything. So you write something on Tuesday night and then it crushes on Saturday and you can't believe that it, you know, went that fast. But updates are even crazier because they, you write them on Friday night. And then, and then you're crushing on Saturday night. And it's like, how did this happen? How did I get on TV to be doing this crazy thing that I thought of, you know, less than 24 hours ago? I remember yes. when Sandler did a, uh, something about the Boston Garden closing. Remember, they, they, they have the new Boston Garden. And it was an update that we wrote the night before. And then it did so well, they made it the cold opening. But obviously, we had to change the look because it was the cold opening. And it was so pressured. It was the only time this ever happened. We were still putting it on cue cards as Adam was performing it. We were still finishing it up on cue cards, writing it as he was performing the beginning of the cold opening. Wow. I think that's the story that some fans actually need to hear that sometimes the script's not even finished and you're on the air. I mean, it's coming, maybe. It's crazy. And people stay very calm. I remember Wally, the cue card guy, he was just writing it down and wasn't going any faster than he normally did. Wasn't His hand wasn't shaking, even though he could hear the beginning of the sketch playing over the speakers. I mean, people, the crew there especially, are so professional and so they've seen it all and nothing phases them. And, hey, we'll, 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 we'll get through it. I was doing a sketch with, uh, a soprano sketch with Molly Shannon, and she was doing, you know, we were going to do the bada bing and, and she was going to play the 50 year old dancer and which had, was such a huge hit and so funny. And w when we opened the sketch, they produced three thick, thickly filled uh, cards with words I'd never seen. <laughs> I'd never seen these words. And uh, I got so rattled. I went from Tony Soprano, like into Marlon Brando. I was like, what? What the fuck, man? I'm like, because, man, I, I don't care what anybody says. There's some tension in the air once in a while over there, right? Oh, yeah. Remember these hosts that would memorize the script on uh, on Friday night? They'd, they'd come in Saturday morning like, I memorized everything. I'm like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it's all <laughs> Yeah, I remember. I don't know if I should say her name. She's such a wonderful actress. I remember. I remember her in her dressing room, and I didn't have the nerve. Someone should have said, "Hey, you can throw it away. <laughs> what you have in your hand? It's a garbage can right there." Yeah, we changed the whole thing. That thing's gone. <laughs> it's all. It's all written in disappearing ink. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, a lot of people like to hear these type of SNL stories and like this little, you know, the, the behind the scenes type of thing. Do you have any good stories from like, you know, back in the day, like, uh, you know, with, with Sandler or Farley or any of those guys you got to work so closely with? Um, I was thinking about the story the other day. Like, um, we had a test screening for anger management. And the test screenings of movies are, are very fraught. You know, the, the, there's a lot, especially the first test screening, which this was. You know, you never, you don't know what you got. And you can be very surprised. And, and I have sat in test screenings where, like, I'm like, oh, my God, everyone hates this. And, it's, and you've worked a year on it, so it's, it's tough. And as, as, as much of a stomachache as I have, Adam has 10 stomachaches. So I, like, avoid him <laughs> during the, you know, I think it's better now. Or we're both a little calmer, but I would avoid him. And the anger management was even more um, fraught because uh, Nicholson was coming. And we were not sure that Nicholson was aware that this was a comedy. Like, we, we had no idea if Nicholson really knew what, what he had signed up for. So he was coming to the first test screening. So I'm like, I'm going to hide in the back. I don't want to see anybody. I'm just going to come in when the movie's already started. So I did. And I, I went in kind of the projection area there. And then I, I came down and there was someone there, like a traffic cop, there was, you know, executives and such come in at the end and said, go down there all the way down, all the way down, all the way down. And I'm going down a long row, the back row of the movie theater. And I go all the way to the end. Somebody's sitting there and I sit down and it's Sam. He says, Hey buddy. <laughs> and then someone comes in behind me, sits down next to me. Hey, how you doing? It's Nicholson. I'm sitting between Sandler and Nicholson for the first test screening. Oh my God. And the, I had, you know, obviously no, uh, no, uh, armrest for me on either of those. But, um, I was, I just, it was just two hours of sitting there, uh, completely, uh, horrified. And then it went well. So, uh, the read, the reading went well. It wasn't a read. It was a test screening of the movie. But, I mean, screening. Cause I could have, just, I didn't know if you were saying screening or reading. Okay. Good, great. And Nicholson laughed. Yeah, Nicholson was, eh, 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 and Sandler was laughing, and the audience was laughing, most importantly. So uh, I got through it, but it could have been ugly. I remember watching from just a few feet away when Nicholson and um, um, I forget who is who the co who he was in a sketch with, but he, he was doing like a was it Helen Hunt? Helen, I'm sorry, God, see, Hel- did you write that one? And they did the the Nora, the 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 uh, Carl Bernstein Nora Ephron. Um, they did a takeoff on the movie about Carl Bernstein's life. Oh no, I don't remember that. And Nicholson had like a a ton of blocking. <laughs> I mean, and a lot of movement. Mastered it all. He was flawless on the air. Yeah, that would have been a great. Uh, oh, I'd be flawless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, hell. <laughs> no, let me let me uh, let me ask. I've always been curious about this. Like, so with you, you write like most of Sandler's stuff and some scenes. How how does how does a movie get made with you? Like, do you bring the idea first to Sandler, or does he come to you and then say, "I got an idea"? Like, how does how does it all come to fruition? It's, it's all different. You know, we got you know people. You know, because things are sort of you know come out on a regular basis, and they all seem to do it pretty well. Like, think that we got a formula, and it's it's really it's all different for every movie. Sometimes it's my idea, sometimes it's his idea. Sometimes we take an existing script. Sometimes I do it and then I get fired and then somebody brings somebody. I've got fired recently, but back in the day I would get fired. I got fired off the wedding singer. Did uh, you really? And then you, you really you got fired off the wedding singer? Well, yeah. Well, then they brought in Carrie Fisher, um, 
who did a, a, a quite a rewrite, but we, uh, uh, you know, here, here's the story of the wedding singer. Do, do you got to say, I'll, I'll tell you the, the yeah, story. Of course. So, of course. I, so I had, I had wrote it, um, a draft of it, a couple of drafts of it. And it was kind of the way the movie is up to the point where they fall in love. And I wasn't sure once they fall in love, like what's like, where does it go? I, I, I didn't understand what to do. And the other thing that, and I don't know why to this day I died on this hill, but I did not want uh, Glenn, the fiance, to cheat on uh, Julia, the Drew Barrymore, because I thought that we're going to be more sophisticated. It's just going to be he's the wrong guy for her, you know what I mean, rather than he's a philander. And Sandler said, nobody wants me to steal someone's girl unless he's, you know, cheating on her. You know yeah. what I mean? You, know, you want to hate the guy. Him? But I argue with him, whatever, so whatever. So finally they brought in Carrie Fisher and she was, you know, you know, her mom's Debbie Reynolds and she was, it was a different era of Hollywood. We were 30 years younger and she wrote something that, and our first reaction to when it finally came in and she took her time doing it was we were, again, I mean, we wanted to kill ourselves because it was just so different and so um, not us. And then when we went through, and then they brought in Apatow for a couple of weeks, who was our friend um, but he was, there was, what could you do? It was just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It was just, you know, um, <laughs> there, there was no, there was nothing great. he could do. So finally, when we started taking it apart, we realized this was about language and this was about jokes and style and the structure. And what she had done was put the, um, you know, the, the double mistaken identity at the end where she goes to Robbie's house and sees the fiance and he goes and looks at her in the window and she's fantasizing about marrying Sandler, but he thinks she's fantasizing about marrying her, her fiance. So it's a misunderstanding, which is a classic old Hollywood, you know, fifties movie thing to happen. And it, you know, by the time we rewrote it, there was like one or two lines of Carrie Fisher's left in it, but she fixed it. She, she did this sort of old Hollywood thing that would have never occurred to us. And that's how the wedding singer, you know, got ended or the, the whole second half of it. it and and so somebody comes up with an idea and you get excited on the phone. Who do you present it to next? Who green lights it? Um, you know, Sailor with the with the Netflix thing, it's pretty, you know, we, we have partners over there when we kind of run it by and, and they'll give us their thoughts and back and forth and everything. But um, I'm basically, we don't we have to sell, like, you know, as long as the components are, are you know, not crazy, and and it seems it's not a you know insane premise for a movie. It was <laughs> a, a pretty uh, pretty long leash to do what we want. That's cool. So yeah. it's great, but pretty quickly they just trusted you two guys. Yeah, like with QB Halloween, which is the last one we did. We just wanted to do a Halloween movie. Sounds like there's all these hol- holiday movies, and I had always wanted to do a horror movie. You know, I was just a big genre guy. You know, who would love to do a horror movie. So um, that was sort of the genesis of that. Just let's do a Halloween movie. One of the coolest things you guys get to do when, when, with, you know, with you and Sandler specifically, like you guys always have a lot of the same guys that you bring back for recurring roles, like, you know, whatever the movie is. Um, like how, like how fun is that to work with the, some of the same people over and over? Like, I feel like at, at some point it's just almost like a well-oiled machine with, you know, do you guys get to work with your friends and you, you, you have like a great trust that, you know, they're going to kill these parts. Is that true? Yeah, is that, I mean, like, it's just, it makes it easy. You know what I mean? Like, like, Having Steve Buscemi, knowing that that's a guy we can just go, oh, okay. And still, he'll surprise you. Him and, like, Turturro, like, they will, you know, you'll have in your head how good they're going to be, and then they'll come up with some other gear yeah, be better. And and it's never, you know, 
they're both batting a thousand. You know what I mean? And are you, are you pretty loose with these type of guys for the improvising and stuff like that? Or, or do you like want them to always kind of stick to what you wrote? You know, I think it's been a slow journey of, of doing more improvisation. I mean, on our first movie, like Billy Madison, like if somebody said some, like, you know, uh, how are you, instead of saying, how are you doing? They'd say, how are you doing Billy? And we'd like go in with our scripts and go, uh, Mr. McGavin, you're supposed to say, how are you doing? Not how are you doing, Billy? You know, I mean, we yeah. were, we're Nazis about it, but... Um, to Darren McGavin? Yeah, to Darren McGavin. <laughs> and he was looking at these two, like, 23-year-olds going, you know, you know, saying he, you know, left out a... You're supposed to pause a little after, you know, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't kill us. Ellipsis. It's an ellipsis, Mr. McGavin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... Pause, I put three, there's three dots in there. It's not a period. <laughs> One of the best parts about though having those guys, especially some of those like comedic actors, man, is just the fact that they are brilliant, and you know that like, hey, they might riff something even better than what we wrote. Yeah, so but by the time we got to grown-ups, like we were, you know, we knew that we that was, you know, oh yeah, that that cast it's some flexibility there. Yeah, and I think Adam when he did Funny People, that also Judd had a set where you know there's you know there's a lot of improvisation. I think he came back to our movies and was like, hey, why can't we have that? Um, like more riffing and and we always get the script and then we'll we'll go off and it, it's fun it's it's more it's like the show it's like SNL it's like more immediate than you know like sometimes yeah. a joke I've been working on for nine months will be superseded by something you know the the AD says you know what I mean and I'm like why but uh, you know it's Wait, all for the what does that mean like uh, you know I'll be finally crafting this joke in the script of draft after draft and then we'll do it and then the AD will say something. And do that and then fart. And then he'll do it and he'll fart and everybody laughs. And then, like, my, my joke, you know, bites the dust. But if, if it's funnier, it's funnier. You know what I mean? Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Because <clears throat> they do feel free to comment, um, the people who are not on camera. And sometimes we just say something that's like, oh, wait, that's five words, not 15. And it's funny. Yeah. Yeah, if you have that environment, it can be, you know. Yeah. It's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to ask a question just uh, specifically uh, because I, I I know you and I aren't familiar with each other. I've done stand up for about 15, 16 years. That's how I met Daryl. It's doing stand up shows and uh, regularly around New York and L.A. But uh, I'm also a writer. So, like, do you have any advice for any like up and coming writers? Like, I mean, you know, especially like younger comics or something that are coming up and trying to break in. Like, what would you what would you say? What would you you know? How would you advise? them to get something, you know, made or get staffed on something, you know? You know, I, I came up in, you know, the 90s, and Adam Sandler was my college roommate, so... Yeah. so other, other than, be, other than being roommates with Adam Sandler, yeah, how that, can they get in? My number one tip. If you're <laughs> um, you know, it's really just, you know, I, I find um, writing stand-up jokes is extremely hard. Writing SNL sketches is a, maybe a little bit less hard. And writing movies is actually the least hard of those, even though it's a lot of people don't do it because it's a hundred and something pages. It feels like a term paper. It feels like work. But I remember when I wrote our first movie, Billy Madison, there was a a while where it looked like it wasn't going to get made a long time. Like it kind of died. And I went back to work and it was over, but I was still proud that I had done it. And I still felt like it was a useful uh, use of my time. Like, like it, it, it was like running a marathon or something. Like they can never take that away from me. I wrote a script. And so like to write a movie script is really no, you can take a million classes, but actually to do it, um, 
you know, give it a, give it a shot, write a movie, you know? Now, I don't know if that's the best advice in 2021 when everybody's on the YouTube and the Twitter and, uh, you know, <laughs> um, but that's, that's, that's what I would do if I was starting up now. I had a guy at the, at the improv once say to me, young guy, like, how do I get to where you've been? Like, do you, do you have any advice for someone starting out? And I was just like, go back, go back, <laughs> turn around, break into a light jog, keep going, stay the fuck out of this business. I mean, I'm, I don't have encouraging things to say. I say it's hard as fuck. I mean, you know, you hear things like it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know, I try to throw stuff in like that, but I don't think, anyone can really put the, wrap their mind around the idea that if you're going to succeed, particularly at 30 Rock, man, you got to be prepared to lose a thumb. You got to, you got to, you got to pitch in there like right, Tim. Yeah. And, and even if you do, it's not necessarily a guarantee of success. And how yeah. many miserable bastard hosts do we come in there? Very successful, but you know, that seemed like they wanted to kill themselves. You know what I mean? Like just people who had achieved success, and we're hosting Saturday Night Live, and we're kind of still, even in success, there's no, you know, real success of being fulfilled or whatever. Paris Hilton seems so unfazed by the whole experience. <laughs> I, 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 I think she's unfazed being, by all of life. <laughs> no, but I mean, so I, I found it so remarkable as someone who had clawed and scraped for 18 years to get on that show. Okay, I started out when I was young. I got turned down twice. I got hired when I was, you know, not young anymore. But I, it was eight, an 18 year stretch. So Paris got on in, in 30 days after that video. And I, and I remember, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, Chris, but on Tuesday nights, the host goes around to each uh, writer's office. And these are Emmy Award winning writers. These aren't fucking bums. You know, these are people who have Emmys on all, all over the place. And, and I actually remember her walking out of the second one exasperated and saying to her assistant holding her little dog she just was like it was sort of I'm, I don't know if I can do an impression of it but it was sort of like how many more of these do we have to do like oh my god I was like really <laughs> how many more meetings with ethanol writers do you have to have Sounds about right for her, you know? I mean, I feel like that's kind of classic. How many more things do we have to do? I thought, mm, boy, yeah. yeah. Wow, there's, okay. There's a level of professionalism, like, you have to, you know, like, someone like Jennifer Love Hewitt, I remember coming in, and just, she had been, like, sort of a child, and she came in, and she was nice, and she talked to everybody, and she laughed at everybody's jokes, and then after she was done, she gave everybody pens, like, like all the writers, like, she was just a class act, and... Like that's coming up in show business as, as much as people say, you know, child actors get screwed up. Like, you know, that that sort of training of like, this is how you operate in showbiz, which I don't think reality people get at all. I think they're encouraged to be train wrecks sort of on and off camera. Like um, I would miss that if I, if I was, was just a parade of reality stars coming in. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, that's the last place on this planet you want to be a train. That's like being a train wreck in the space shuttle. Okay. Your ass is, I know you don't realize it, but your ass is kind of on the line here. There's not going to be anyone of substance that's not going to see what you do out there. And the funny thing is, the people that write the checks 
at the end of the year. They don't care why you didn't make it on. They don't care that a set didn't make it in from Brooklyn or the host wanted to sing a Christmas carol. So that Wolfman Jack you perfected all week is thrown in the garbage can. I don't care about all that shit. It's tough. That sounds oddly specific, Daryl. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yes, that's exactly right. I, I poured about 40 hours into a nice Wolfman Jack and <laughs> dashed by... Uh, Jingle bells. Wow. Who was it? Come on. Let's see what's the who's no. <laughs> oh, I'm not gonna do it. Not gonna die. Not gonna die. Chris, you should get Dana Carvey on here. Yeah, I actually we we him and I talked about uh having him on. Uh he wanted to launch his uh podcast first and then he said he's gonna come on with us because he loves you, man. He uh, absolutely does. Yeah, yeah. I mean <clears throat> it's, it's i would love to have you know he's such a brilliant uh, comedian like his stand-up is so fucking great too like a lot of people don't realize like how how just flawless he makes it work on on, on stage it's it's just it's good spade. writing it's good performance it's just spade fantastic. too, spade too. Did, I, I, did you ever write any stand-up for adam oh yeah uh you know back in back in the early days yeah for oh, uh, nice. snl yeah well, well let and, me ask this why why didn't you ever do stand-up i just never it never even occurred to me to do stand-up. I mean, really? now I look back on it, I'm like, why didn't I do stand-up? And it's like, because I was writing the jokes, I could just go up and say them. Yeah. And it wasn't like I was afraid to do it. It wasn't like uh, I had this big decision in my life. I just never thought like, oh, I should do that. Like I was, that just wasn't, I was, a, you know, I was, had day jobs throughout until I went to SNL. I sold Billy Madison and got SNL the same month. And that enabled oh, me shit. to quit my day job. But yeah. other than that, I was just, this was just sort of a hobby and, Never would have thought to to go up there. And if I could go back in a time machine, yeah, maybe I'd go back. <laughs> I'd be happy, Gilmore. Yeah. Well, let uh, me ask uh, you know another question about your your movies. Like, what was what was your favorite movie you worked on? What was the one you had the most fun? You've done so many, man. I, I got a, probably Billy Madison because I was there every day. Your I, first I, movie too. It was the first movie, it. and I was I was on the set every day. So I've n- never. I was on actually the Hubie Halloween. Probably was the second most I've, I'm actually on. really. Uh, that's pretty cool. That was I mean, you go from the first to the most recent. Yes, but that was a lot of night shoots, so that was I was I was you know punching myself to stay awake. Yeah, Tim, you live you live in Manhattan, Tim? No, I live in Connecticut. Okay. Oh, nice. That's where I'm from. Where do you live? I live in Ridgefield. Okay, I'm from Just Trumbull. Oh, okay, Trumbull. Yeah, Fairfield yeah. County. Yeah, Fairfield County represents. <laughs> I um. I was going to ask you something else too, but, uh, oh yeah, I was going to ask you one, um, tell us one thing that's fun that maybe not everyone knows about Sandler, but, but even if you, if, if we can make something up too. Let's start a rumor about Sandler. <laughs> like the thing that's fun. That yeah. Just something that maybe somebody doesn't know. Cause you, you know, we see Sandler on everything, you know, we've seen him for, for years. Yeah, but something maybe like, that people don't like, know. Not like venereal warts. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> that's definitely not fun. All right. Well, I'll think, I'll think of something else then if we're not doing that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, what's something fun about, uh, or maybe a good story maybe they have with, uh, uh, you know, specifically about him that, that maybe not, not many people like. head, he, he has a very good deadpan when he wants to use it and he rarely uses it. He's very genuine and like, but he had me convinced for years up at his house in, uh, New Hampshire, he had a picture of himself and you know, these sort of like seventies pictures where it's like two shots. It's like one's a profile and one's looking at the camera kind yeah. of a stylized thing 
I said, uh, oh, who's that? And he, he said, oh, that's me and my twin brother, Richard. <laughs> and I said, I didn't know he had a twin. He goes, yeah, he died. And I thought, <laughs> like, two years, and this is my best friend I see every day. And I thought for like two years, he had a twin brother, Richard, who died. Because he was very, it was very, he was very, he seemed like upset, didn't want to talk about it, changed the subject. Um, How did I, you find out that it wasn't, that he, that wasn't real, that he made it up? I think it slowly dawned on me. I might have asked his mother at some point. Although that's a tough thing to ask someone. You know that son you had to die? No, I didn't have a son to die. Um, but that's he, great. He, uh, he doesn't use it that much. He's pretty. He's not one of these guys who's a practical joker. But yeah, he, he was pretty. He did a pretty good job on the uh, uncut gems with that deadpan. That, that, yeah, that was, that was that was crazy. Yeah, he he. Uh, that that was. Uh, I remember watching. I had to take a walk halfway through that movie. I was like. It's giving me a little bit of a stomachache. This movie, this is, uh, and I don't, I don't get into movies like that, you know. But uh, it was uh, so different from what he normally does. That's why I think that, like, you know, Daryl and I have talked about this with other comedians that we've had on. Sometimes comics just really shine in a serious, like, deadpan type of role because it's so out of the box that what they normally do that they kill it because they're it's it's something fun. They're not, you know, it's not the the usual routine almost, you know. And I, like Daryl's done some great. I, I think comedians, like almost all comedians, like. A comedian has to do everything a dramatic actor does and be funny. You know what I mean? So when you take off the pressure to be funny, I think most comedians have a great dramatic actor in there. It's just lower, you know, taking it down to second gear, you know, it's just um, still playing the character. Only like, I would love to write a movie where I didn't have to get laughs every, you know, three laughs a page or whatever it is. You know what I mean? A very interesting way of putting it. Take it down. Take it down a notch. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Daryl, do you want to add? People, uh, you know, not just Sandler, but other people who move from comedy to drama, and they say it's it's easier. It's way easier, man. What's that, Chris? I was going to say, do you want to ask, um, before we wrap up, do you want to ask Tim anything else before we... Uh... Um, did you like yeah. me on set? <laughs> yeah, I loved you. Who, who who else loved you more than I did? I don't think anyone showed love more than you did. I... Uh, I mean, I, I was, uh, we're, we're all clinging to the life raft there. Even, even I was a head writer and I was clinging to a life raft and yeah. you know, it's, it's what you can, you know, and it's really a foxhole situation there. And I think it's always been that way. And I can tell when I go back there that people still feel that way, that the, this is like buddies for life. People are, you know, you can't say anything bad about somebody in front of someone who was there. Like the people will stick up for their crew and you know, yeah, we shared a voxel. And every time we crush together, uh, you know, it builds that bond and builds that respect. And me and Daryl crush together a lot. But yeah, <laughs> that's awesome, man. To the day, well, I remember, yeah. Well, uh, I think that's. Uh, I think that wraps it up for us, man. I mean, uh, that was. A, it was just such a pleasure having you on, and it's it's fun for me to you know get to know you a little bit. Uh, I know Daryl, you and Daryl go way back, so I appreciate you letting me ask you a bunch of questions and uh, nerding out a little bit on some of this writer's talk, you know? Well, yeah, it's great to see you, Daryl, and, and great to meet you. It's great thanks, to see man. you, too, and thanks for, the, thanks for making me LOL a couple of times today. <laughs> You're using that modern lingo now, man? Yeah, that's right. You're adapting. for my elder care program. <laughs> <laughs> Which shrink but, recommended that? I don't know. That's shrink one. <laughs> the, uh, that's technical jargon, sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, boys. Well, th- thank you so much, Tim, for being a guest on our podcast thank today. You. We appreciate thank having you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, and hopefully we'll have you back.
point soon. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, if you want to plug anything before you go, let me know if you want to plug something right now. And you, uh, uh, you can watch you Halloween, even though it isn't Halloween. It's uh, yeah. it's kind of movie. It's a great movie. It's available on Netflix right now, still streaming. Yeah. So guys, everything's right. available on Netflix right now. So you can just everything's available. Yeah, a whole oeuvre. Okay, absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks so much, Tim. Appreciate you being on. Thank right. you again. Bye, guys. See you, Tim. Take, Take care. care. And that was uh, our guest, Mr. Tim Hurley. Uh, what a great guest, man! What a just a pleasant guy to get to know, and uh, great stories. Great. Uh, you know, he loves you, man. He loves Zero so much to the point where uh, I was like, well, maybe I, uh, maybe I should. Turn off my camera for a little. <laughs> I mean, listen, bro, I got blessed. You know, there was McKay, there was Tina Fey, there was him. There was just, there were these people that were propping me. I felt like I was getting propped up by guys like him, but, you know, hopefully I was able to do a pretty good job myself. Oh, you were. I mean, obviously uh, everyone, uh, everyone loves you, man. And, uh, you did a great job. And obviously his writing was fucking awesome and uh you know you guys he's written some of the best movies that uh you know that are uh, of our comedy uh, genre if you will uh you can always check out all of them on netflix a lot of sandler movies on netflix i think i watched uh, happy gilmore a couple weeks ago on hbo it's all out there but uh yeah check out check out some of his movies and i'm sure you'll see plenty more coming from him in happy madison productions uh as a reminder before we let you go don't forget to hit that uh, subscribe button and tell your friends about the podcast and also make sure to follow us on social media uh that's daryl c hammond at daryl c hammond and i'm at chris millhouse with two l's and our producers at jim search we have another great episode coming up week uh, so we'll we will uh we'll talk to you guys then okay see you then fellas everyone ladies Ladies and gents, see you then.